Welcome to I'm Batman, your Bay Area theater podcast, and I am your Bay Area theater man, Michael Doppy, and I'm sitting here with uh, my friend, my director, my family, my boss, <laughs> Jennifer Perry. Uh, how's it going? Pretty great. Thanks for having me, Dot. Great, yeah. Um, so we are currently sitting in my day-to-day workspace. We are in the performing arts studio yes. space at the Ballet School Performing Arts. Yes. And that's... Uh, you run the school? Yeah, so I own the Ballet School Performing Arts, and um, with Amanda and your amazing help, we've been able to have an incredible theater program here, which I'm more than proud of. <laughs> I don't even think proud is like the right word, because it's beyond proud, um, of Performing Arts Studio, which is so awesome, because it's so process-based, um, instead of, you know, about lights, costumes, and <laughs> sets, and you know, putting on a show. Yeah. You know? and kids so, are learning stuff. So um, how how might people know of you? Like the people listening to this podcast, um, so, how may yeah. they have come across your name? Um, so let's see. Um, besides owning the ballet school, um, you know, I'm going to be 42 this July, and the ballet school's been around for 42 years. So my grandmother started it, and um, I've owned the school for the past, I guess, 10 years. Um, my grandmother left the school to me, but literally I've been here my entire life and helped her run the school. Um, and so it's, it's a great passion, made some huge life decisions to make sure that the ballet school would still be here. Um, in when I was a grown up, you know, helping out when I was younger, I worked hard because I really believe in this, the whole philosophy of the school and its importance in all the kids' lives. Um, so that's my I guess, quote-unquote, real job. Um, And then I'm also the casting director for Center Rep, and I believe I'm going into my 13th season casting, which is crazy. Um, That's amazing that it's been that long. But the whole whole time Michael Butler's been artistic director, I've been his casting director. Um, Started with Cabaret was the first show that I cast for him. And what else? Fantasy Form, Actors Ensemble. I'm... Um, a producer for that. So we do four shows a year plus the Family Theater Festival at the Lesher Center. So that's another thing. And then I think the most important job, though, is being mom to my two girls, um, which uh, my mom helps me so much <laughs> and um, my family so that I can do all these other things. But I'm also directing and choreographing Matilda. Yeah. Right now, for Contrast Musical Theater. So that's totally exciting. And I am in that production right yes. now. So this has been a great the chance to be a part of your version of this is it's something that I feel very proud of just to be part of it. Oh my god! I've been a, such a fan of the show for such a long um, time. But uh, let's let's talk about Matilda later on. There's yeah. plenty of time to talk about sure, that. Sure, sure. Um, so you are a educator. You're an entrepreneur. You're a business owner. Yeah. You are a casting director. You are a mom. You are a director as well as a choreographer. Yes. Um, how did you? How did this happen? That you ha- are doing so many things and are so good at so many things. Like, oh, thanks, Stops. <laughs> I, I don't like you know. I think that growing up from such a young age in uh, in the philosophy of ballet really taught discipline, which you know, and just. I mean, it sounds you know. It, I mean, it like is in I learned commitment, and I learned what hard work 
would do. So I learned that by working hard, you know, there was payoffs to that, you know, whether your jumps were higher, your leg was able to extend more, you were able to, you know, dance on point and be able to execute a trick on one leg, a foite, you know, 32 times and finish, <laughs> you know, all those things. That was something that with ballet, you physically have to gain the strength yourself. Yeah. There's nobody else that can do the work for you. Yeah. So I think that's such a wonderful like seed to plant in a young person because I was instantly, from the time I was little, around the thought that I had to work hard for the things that I wanted to achieve. And when did you start dancing? When I was three. Okay, so... From three years old. I mean, probably, you know, my first memory of, like, really being serious about it was probably six or seven, like, when I have, like, real strong memory of, like, oh, I see that girl doing that. I want to do that, you know? And was there ever a break when you... Pause dancing, or um, I think just... I took a two-week break <laughs> when I was um, in ballet two because I was a little bored. So it was probably like five or five and a half, six, and I was just like, "Oh, this is boring," you know. And which is a normal feeling because it is. It's like repetition, repetition, repetition. But then you know I was here anyway, so I was like, "Well, I might as well just go in there because my mom <laughs> works in the office, my grandmother is teaching." So then I went back and thank God I did because then I got really bitten by the ballet bug and I think it really comes and I, um, I think it really can come to everybody if you stick with it. Yeah. And dance is such an integral and important part of yeah. uh, musical theater, which like I do a lot of and a lot of my livelihood comes from musical theater yeah. and there is so much musical theater in the Bay Area. Um, when did you start getting more involved in the theatrical aspects of it? Because it sounds like dance was very early on, like as soon as you could yes. walk, you could dance. Yeah, um, so dance was like always, you know, ballet, ballet, ballet. I can't have ballet. I can't have ballet. Oh, I can't get my hair cut short. I have to get it in a bun. I mean, those are the, <laughs> the examples of just like life as growing up. But then I also grew up, you know, at nighttime after ballet with my mom being an actress and my dad being a director, I was often in a sleeping bag at rehearsals, you know, this is pre-iPads, pre-anything. So I had to sit and actually watch what was happening. Um, and I couldn't just zone out. And I literally, I think that by watching, um, like my dad direct fantasy form shows, and I think that by watching, you know, the wonderful actors that I got to grow up watching, like Donald Sage Mackay and Leslie Carrara and, you know, my mom, Carrie Sean, <laughs> I, I really, like, learned storytelling that way. Um, and... I'm so grateful for those those nights that I'd be... Fantasy Form used to take over a whole September and we'd do a whole season. They would do four shows in rep, you know... In one the, month? In one month. It was so awesome. <laughs> um, and that was like the most exciting month every year because, you know, I got to be around all those great actors and the great storytellers and all the music. Um, so I think that started off. And then my dad you know, directed musicals and was a lighting designer and my mom was in plays and musicals. And so I was often around even CCMT at, you know, I think, um, my dad lit a chorus line when I was real young. And I remember I was fascinated with it because I really understood it. I understood yeah. the dancer's story. And so I would go with him just to be there. And how old were you? Um, I was probably, gosh, nine, 10. And I just remember being fascinated with it. And I always loved, through ballet, telling stories through movement. So I always loved to, like, act the roles, you know, like, to tell the story. 
And so I was, you know, my grandmother would always say, oh, Jenny, you know, you told that story so beautifully through the movement <laughs> or whatnot. Or I'd do a, even a bar stretch in class, but I'd love to feel the music and what that could bring um, expression-wise. So I was always, like, taken with story through dance. But then how I really got involved um, with, with theater is one summer I decided, um, I, well, I backtrack a little bit. I, my grandmother took my sister Kelly and I to New York for a few summers. And, you know, I tried the whole summer program, Joffrey Ballet. You know, I was in the scholarship class and we'd stay there for, I don't know, three, four weeks. And I would take these classes every day and it was yeah. very exciting and whatnot. But in those moments and in those classes, I'm so grateful because I realized that I didn't, what I didn't love about ballet was the competitive nature of it. What I didn't love about ballet was feeling like um, I was less than because my leg didn't go as high as the girl next to me yeah. or, you know, just those things that were making me feel bad. But I'd come back home to the ballet school and I'd feel so good because the, the nature here is just different. And that's one of the things that I feel is one of the differences between um, a performance-based program and a... Um, Process. Yeah, a process program. Because yeah. if you're working towards a performance and there's only a few number of roles, then whoever is, is has it, got the... They're getting the experience. Yeah, you know? and so it it kind of breeds this competitive nature yeah. that I don't think helps people in the long run because it's not... It really isn't about how good you are compared to everybody else. It's how good are you compared to you yesterday. Absolutely. And I, I feel like, um, is that something that you've wanted to carry forward with Absolutely. It's every, it's like, you know, you celebrate you, you do you, you know, you come to class because you want to take the class. You want to get better, not because your friend standing next to you is better than you. And that's going to like fire you up. You know, you should be firing yourself up, you know, so you come in, work harder than you did yesterday. Um, and it's all about you and, and how you can, you're in control of your own destiny, how you work. Um, so I think I learned that through that program and I'd come home to the ballet school and I'd be like, I love ballet. And, but, and then I'd go to those programs and I'd be like, this is like, this is too stressful. Like, I, don't, I don't feel good about myself. And, um, and so basically I realized that I wasn't going to pursue like a ballet career, but I knew I loved to dance and I knew I loved to tell stories. Um, well, I got to high school and I had transferred high schools halfway through my sophomore year. I had done a, a couple, I think I had done one or two summers with Young Rep already, so I had kind of dabbled in. And that's a Young, young Rep program at Yeah, through Creek. Center Rep, yeah, in Walnut Creek, and it's the, oh, I think it's the finest program out there. Because you teach there as well, right? I teach there. <laughs> I run the musical theater program um, with Michael Wiles. Um, but when I was growing up, we didn't have the musical theater component. It was just straight acting, and the program was smaller. There was, you know, maybe... 30 of us, you know, now there's over a hundred, you know, it's wonderful students. So it was a much smaller program, but in those summers I gained a voice. I gained like, oh, so now through my dancing, telling stories, now I can actually speak and tell a story. And then I started to dabble in the, you know, the acting portion of it. <laughs> and, um, but then, uh, I transferred to high school because I wanted to be closer to ballet school, I could walk. And there was also a cute boy that I had met at Young Rep that I thought, you know, he's going to Los Lomas, <laughs> so maybe I'll follow him. Um, and my, I convinced my parents that's what I was going to do, and they let me. And so I went to Los Lomas, and I decided I needed to be part of the, the school, and I tried out for cheerleading. And my grandmother was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm going to try out for cheerleading. And little did I know, 
now I'm thinking about it, her heart was breaking because that meant if I made that cheerleading team yeah. that I was going to not be dancing as much and not be here at the ballet school as much. So there were, um, let's see, there were six, six spots. No, wait, I'm sorry. Seven spots. For the cheer team? For the cheer team. Okay. And it was like the cheer dance team. Six girls tried out and five people made it. I know. Seven spots. Six of us tried out. Five people made it. And um, I mean, like, I, we had to do like a solo in front of judges. I was doing foites. Those other girls weren't doing that. And literally, I was the one who did not get picked. And I was devastated. And I went up to Miss Kilpicky, who was the cheerleading advisor, study hall lady. And I said, you know, hi, you know, why? I just want to know, where did I fall short? And she looked, she goes, oh, your judges' scores were great, very high. Oh, it's school vote. It's 50% school vote. And I said, but I'm new to the school. How, how was I supposed to get a yeah. school vote? You know? And she said, well, honey, you need to make more friends. And I literally, I mean, that in my mind, I was harsh. so harsh. I walked back to the ballet school. And it, to me, I was like, in my memory, I was snowing and I was walking uphill the whole <laughs> way, sobbing, sobbing. And I walked up to the ballet school and my grandmother, was, she was up here. Nobody was here yet. And I said, I didn't make it. And I think inside she was probably going like hip, hip, hooray. Yeah. But she put her arms around me and says, oh, honey, just trust. Things happen for reasons. Just trust. Just trust. And I, at that moment, you can never, you're like, that's not what you want to hear. It's like, no, yeah. I want to make it. Yeah. Um, but then literally, I think 24 hours later, the phone rings and it's CCMT. And they're looking for a 16-year-old girl, ballerina, to come and play Louise Bigelow in Carousel. Okay. And I remember my grandmother answered the phone and she just looked at me and she went, I have just the girl. <laughs> and so I went to the audition and I got the part. And from that moment on, my life changed. And I had been, you know, watching, you know, all the musicals and now I was in the musical, but I was doing what I loved. I was dancing with and storytelling, storytelling and a few lines. <laughs> um, so that was really exciting. And then from that moment on, I kept going with show after show, you know, you get yeah. bitten by that bug. And I yeah. was training and doing shows at night and training in the day and doing shows at night um, all the way through high school. I even, this is crazy, and this is something I forget about myself. Yeah. I don't even know if you know this, but I, um, I think by the time I was 17, I was assistant stage managing and stage managing for center rep. And this was before they had to have equity stage managers. Um, but David Hay was the artistic director at the time, and um, he, I mean, I, he, I wanted to work with Jeff Collister, kind of help him out at night. So I was assisting him. And literally then it turned into, I was stage managing by the time I, I think I was a senior in high school. Um, I had to miss my, I almost missed my senior ball because I was stage managing production of Harvey. <laughs> but people couldn't get over that this 17-year-old girl was managing a full company of actors, yeah. some which were equity and I was working with like Rick Sear from the Old Globe. He was um, a director for a couple of the shows I stage managed. I worked with David Hay and a bunch of other really amazing um, people. And so I think through that process, when we talk about directing and we talk about laying out rehearsals and being organized in that fashion. You had that experience. That, from, I mean, I had that from, from, from the get-go. <laughs> and I was watching really good directors work with really amazing actors and and managing the time of all those people and setting schedules and, you know, dealing with costumes and sets and lights. And um, I think because of that, I was able to step into, like, a directing role a little easier because I had all that experience. Yeah. Um, which, from an early age, which was, thank God, you know. 
Yeah. Well, so going from going from high school into college, yeah. um, where'd you go? So I'm so proud to say I went to Diablo Valley College, DVC, the junior college here in our area, which is a fine, 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 wonderful school. Met some of the most wonderful people there and had the most amazing teachers, um, Jim Kirkwood being one of them, who was actually my mom's drama teacher. Um, and he was just a, a wonderful man, passed away a little while ago, but I was lucky enough to have him as a teacher. Um, and Harvey Berman, you know, Ray Stansberry, all these amazing guys who were um, all teaching at the time at DVC, and DVC still has an amazing program. I would recommend it to everybody. <laughs> um, but I had, I went, decided I wanted to go to DVC for a couple years because I had work to do here, yeah. I, the ballet school, and then I had, I was stage managing, I was working, and then I was going to, you know, transfer. And what happened um, there is I trans, I went to these, I think they were called CETA auditions, like S C E T A. Um, and they happen, they happen every year and they're for transfer students. And it's yeah. wonderful because all the schools, instead of you having to go to audition at all the so schools, the, like a showcase, they, where they you come to you and you go into pieces. all these rooms and you audition, you do monologues and songs and whatnot. And then they put a callback list up and you go to these callbacks for all the schools. Well, I went with my group down to, from DVC down to, it was held at Chapman, luckily by Disneyland. So I could visit Disneyland <laughs> and, um, went to all these auditions and because of stage management, dance, acting, I was called back to something like 32 schools. And it was a first time I felt a real contention in some of the friends because when those the list went up, some of my friends from DVC who'd maybe just been focused on acting were called back to maybe one or two schools. Yeah. But there's like, you have 32 schools. And I was like, yeah, it's because I have stage management. Like people yeah. are gonna be excited about that, right? And dance and all these other things. So I didn't let that get to my head, like, oh, I must be amazing, because that's not amazing. I just knew that I probably had a lot more to offer from, like, experience-wise, right? So I went to those callbacks, and I got into a lot of different schools, um, and I ended up getting a full ride to USC. And I didn't take it, which is, like, everybody at the time... Not everybody, but not my parents, but everybody at the time was like, you're crazy. Are you kidding me? Why would you not take it? And it was a full ride into their theater program, um, into the straight acting program. And I didn't do it. And there was a few reasons. Number one, I, my little sister Amanda was born. And so I was 12 years older than she, and she was my buddy. And I love her so much. And so I couldn't imagine leaving her at the time because she was... Well, I didn't even know how old she was, but she was little. I mean, she would go with me to rehearsals to watch, you know, yeah. but she was always with me. And so... And going off for a couple of years. I just thought, she's going to miss, like, I'm going to miss seeing her grow up. She's going to miss me. I couldn't imagine that. And I, so that was one of the reasons, but I don't like to put all the blame on Amanda because I'm sure she would have <laughs> been fine. But the real, like, heart of it was I knew at that time that the ballet school um, would probably not be there when I came back because I knew that financially my grandmother was putting money in from her home to make it work. She was, she was working so hard just on her own, um, you know, seven days a week. And I was already helping her. And I knew if I went away that that might not be able to sustain. And the ballet school to me was my life. Yeah. And so I said, no, despite everybody who thought you're crazy. Um, but now I am so glad I made that decision because I'm not so sure we'd all be sitting here right now, you yeah. know? And then think about how many kids and how many families have been affected by the ballet school beyond those years. Yeah. 
it's way worth it to me than any degree from anything. So yeah, I went to DVC and, but I don't have a theater degree. I don't have, you know, some, when people say, where did you go? I went to DVC. That's what I did. And I'm, I'm proud of that. And I have, I say I have a life degree because I'm living the life that I always dreamed of living. (laughs) So Yay. <laughs> and now I don't have a bunch of college debt either. Because I'm sure even with a full ride, I still would have cost me money, you know. Somehow, you know, with living and with the expense of that. So I'm lucky that I had supportive parents yeah. who didn't push me to do anything that I didn't feel comfortable doing, but encouraged me to do all the things I wanted to do. I feel like I, I, I get an incredible feeling of family. Yeah. from you and that's like that's what keeps you moving forward totally and, and like I think it, beyond like blood family I think that you know like everybody who works here at the ballet school even if they're not blood related they're they are family like yeah. we would all do whatever we had to to help each other and that's the kind of people I want to be around like why live life around people that are out to get you yeah absolutely. you know you want to be surrounded by people that lift you up and I want to be a part of the lifting up yeah, of and the that's world. <laughs> and that's something that I I get working in this in this wonderful place. I feel like everyone gets that vibe, but I also get that in your directing and your choreography. How did you? What was the first job you? What was the first thing you directed? Oh boy! So the first thing, well, the first thing I choreographed was Celebration for Life. Um, we used to do a wonderful AIDS benefit, actually, the Lesher Center. Um, and I was lucky enough to, you know, ask to be one of the performers to volunteer to do that. And then one year they said, hey, will you choreograph this number? And I was like, me? Little me? <laughs> sure. And it was um, Ease On Down the Road, I think, was the number. And I choreographed that. And I think it's, you know, sparked some people's eyes like, wow, she did that. Good job. And then um, Dan Uroff actually was a huge inspiration in that. He, was, he directed a lot and choreographed a lot for CCMT at the time, and I knew him from the ballet school because we he took care from my grandmother, and so he asked me to come choreograph a couple shows at the JCC with him, and he would be directing, and I'd be choreographing, and then um, so that really helped kind of get my feet wet, and then um, my first directing gig, I think I I was asked to choreograph Annie was the first show I did for CCMT, <laughs> so I did that, and that was a wonderful opportunity that I was given, um, and then the first musical I directed, Scott Fryer actually asked me to come and direct Red Hot and Coal over at um, the Village Theater in Danville. Okay. I think it was role players at the time. Not quite, I can't quite remember, but I remember Grace had just been born, so she was little, so that was, you know, for almost 15 years ago. Um, and then from there, I started to choreograph more for CCMT and then Center Rep. And then um, CCMT, I think the first show I directed for CCMT was Guys and Dolls. Um, And that was quite a wonderful show. But I had choreographed a lot for them before that, Um, lots of different shows. And then um, 42nd Street in Oklahoma and Joseph. It just kept going, (laughs) luckily, thank God. Yeah, Um, and and it's it's gotten a lot of a lot of critical buzz as well. I mean, how many of those have, how many Shelley Awards have you won? Oh gosh, I, I don't, I mean, (laughs) I don't know the exact number. I I, don't, I I mean, you're not, I know you're not the type of person to have like, well, I won five for this thing. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I know that you're not the person to keep the tally, but. I I mean, I've been, I've been blessed because I've been honored with Shelley Awards and I've been honored with Theater Bay Area 
Critics Circle Awards and, um, you know, th that I've been really blessed with. So I don't know, but I feel kind of like, like all those awards are so wonderful and they're so wonderful for everybody to gather together. I yeah. think that's what I love about it. And of course it feels good to be honored. Like, yeah. I think anybody would like be totally lying if they're like, well, it doesn't matter. It does matter, right? <laughs> that's like your ego talking. Like, it feels good to be recognized and noticed. And to, to be able to celebrate everybody else's work along exactly. with them at the same time. Exactly. And that's, and cheer for the, you know, the people that you really saw do a, you know, fabulous thing. And you're like, yes, I'm so glad you won. Um, <laughs> quote unquote Quote won. unquote won. <laughs> I feel like there's Everybody does such amazing work already, and the, the <laughs> fact that only one person gets like this one yeah. thing at the end of it, it doesn't really matter. And I, I feel mean, like that's where people kind of miss the boat in those things is that they they go like rooting for their you know team, you know. And yeah. I think that's just like human nature, you know. We like yeah. the A's, we like the Giants. Oh, I like <laughs> the A's, you like the Giants, you know. Whatever it is, so that's human nature. But I think that what we miss the boat on is the celebration of. Theater. Yeah. Like, we're so lucky. We live in such an amazing area. Everybody wants to go off to New York. Good for them. But, like, look around the Bay Area. I mean, it doesn't take much of a freeway to get you to San Jose Stage and Theater Works. And, I mean, those are commutes from where we are. But yeah. it's, we're surrounded. Even Sacramento yeah, has even amazing theater. <laughs> I mean, I just repeat Berkeley, you know, it's like for people to say, oh, I'm going to have to leave here to go get work. Are you sure? This is a great place. <laughs> and I have been working in the Bay Area a relatively short time compared to other people. I, I've been here about 10 years um, working all over the Bay. And it's only within the, the past four or five years that I've kind of settled down in the East Bay. But as somebody who's been around the Bay Area community, do you, do you think it's changed? Because I, I feel... In the short time that I've been here, it feels like there's more work within the past three or four years. Yeah, but. I feel like there's more, like, there, there's definitely more companies. I mean, um, you know, it's so exciting to see what Taylor has done in Napa, you know, with her theater company. And, you know, Berkeley Playhouse has become such a wonderful place for so many actors. And uh, Bay Area Musical Theater has become such a wonderful you know, theater company, you know, besides Center Rep has grown so much and even, you know, Contra Costa Musical Theater, the bar is raised, you know, I hope every show it raises the bar for everybody. So I think that, I think there's the support for the arts has maybe gotten better and over the years. And um, I think that it's important. We all remember who, who laid the groundwork for all of us who get to still be doing this. And I think that it's really easy to complain or you hear people complain about things, but I think it's really important to stop and go, wait a minute, if, for, if it weren't for Miriam Ingler and Clay Ingler, CCMT might not still be here. Yeah. You know, and um, just taking the time to even think about what Mike and Shannon Demers have done for CCMT over these years, you know, it always takes somebody to take the reins of yeah. just keeping something going and that's something that I feel that uh, the younger community, um, there is awareness of it kind of in the side guys yes. that keep hearing these names, but they don't know the whole story, story or the the true impact of that. Yes. And so like one of the things with this podcast is I'd love to like hear more of those stories and get more of that. Yeah. I mean, the fact that at 17, I think my dad was the the vice president of Contra Costa Musical Theater when he was 17 years old, you know, and they were performing out of high schools, you know. It's like there's so much history 
to these companies that have been around for 50 plus years that you're yeah. just like, whoa, you know? And I know that CCMT is working on like finding in the archives the pictures and the yes. records of that and making sure that it's accessible for future generations. It's that's, so important. The history. I think that's key to all of this is that we all remember where we came from and grateful to the people who, as we fight with like blood and tears sometimes, <laughs> it's like, you know what? There were people before us who did this too. And, yeah. you know, there'll and be people after us. Hopefully that's our job, right? To yeah. make sure there's people after us. To keep the torch going. Exactly. Keep it lit and keep it moving forward. Exactly. And growing, you know, make the flame bigger, but not too big where it's going to die. And I think that's where a lot of people get too a little bit too like, oh, well, we were successful on that show. Let's do a bigger, 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 bigger show. And it's like, ooh. Maybe just little bits at a time. Sustain yourself, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, the first thing you directed me in yeah. was Billy Elliot, I awesome. believe. yeah. Which was... Um, so I mean, I choreographed you in Les Mis, let's be real. <laughs> but yeah, first thing I like, I think I was director of was Billy Elliot. And that was two years ago? I know, it feels really long ago. It feels so long. Um, but I but think it was two years ago. I, I think a lot of that is that it feels so long because the kids who were in it were right at the cusp of puberty. And, and now, so now crossed it over. Hasn't, it hasn't <laughs> been that long, but then you see them and their voices have changed and they're, they've shot up to six feet tall. And it's like, where did these little kids go? Yes, <laughs> yes. And that was such an amazing experience. Um, and for me to be working with you in that capacity as my director and my choreographer. It was, it was eye-opening to see how you worked and it was, it was great. What were some of the challenges for you with that, with that production? With Billy Elliot? I mean, that was such a dear story to my heart because it encompassed like everything that, I mean, it put ballet, the art of ballet and the passion of ballet and that feeling of electricity um, that Billy sings about, like I, I know that feeling. I know what he's talking about, um, and so I, that story was very just meant a lot to me. Just when it first even came out as a movie, and my grandmother Lorene loved that story so much. Even um, when she was in her final, you know, few weeks of life, um, on the iPad we'd play her, um, you know. Uh, we'd find, you know, the Broadway version of a you know, young boy who played Billy Elliot yeah. singing that song. And she would sit there and just tears would just stream down her face because she knew what that felt like. She understood that. Um, so clearly that story meant a lot to me personally. But I think the challenge, you know, the challenge of it was finding the right cast. But once we had the people... I feel like there was zero challenge because it was like the most incredible group of humans to gather. And I think that casting a show is 50% of your challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe even more than that <laughs> because you need excellent, an excellent cohesive group of people to tell a story together. And so uh, with your job with Center Rep as the casting director, you've, you've had years of experience working with different directors and trying to figure out what the ideal cast is when you're directing for yourself do you find that that experience makes oh, things certainly. easier or harder because you have like a higher um a higher bar that you want to meet I think that I just have learned that you don't settle so if you have something in your mind and somebody's like almost hitting the mark but they're not quite hitting the mark in the audition process I think it's really important to keep looking and to keep finding and fighting for what you want um, and what for the your, vision is. For your vision. Yeah. yeah. And I think that there's also times when actors come in and you hadn't even thought of 
them and they surprise you and now your vision you're like but I thought my vision but this is so (laughs) so much more exciting so I think it goes both ways I think people definitely come into the room and they they change your mind or they show you something you didn't expect um but I I think that particularly particularly with like Billy Elliot I mean finding the right Billy Billy. (laughs) is key and like you know people it's weird what happens in the process. You know, there were people saying, well, can't we just get a girl to be Billy? And it's like, well, I guess, you know, that would be fine, but it's not the story of this boy who's, you know, going to fight against what his dad thinks he should be, and he's yeah. going to be a ballet dancer, and he and loves in ballet. That, in that time period, in that location, the, yes. the, so much of... You can't really change anything of that because so much of what the story is is about the community and the societal norms yes. of the time. And, and then the finding, uh, you know, tons of amazing little boys came in and sang. But then I'd say, can you show me a pirouette? And they were like, didn't even know what it was. Well, to me, there's no way that you're going to be Billy Elliot, you know, and be able to dance the way he needs to yeah. dance. And so they, I, I can work for it. It's like... Sweetie, you gotta you gotta start a long time ago. <laughs> There's not three months that I can teach you how to do you know torjetes the way Billy Elliot needs to do them. So that's where um, you know it really was an amazing feat that we found Braden King to come in, and that was a huge thing for CCMT because we had to fly him here and <laughs> you know bring him. They had to house him, and and you know that was but that was our key, you know. And yeah, you need to find the right. So th- that was like the challenge of Billy, and from Matilda. You know, there's challenges in everything, but of course, you know, finding the right Matilda. Yeah. And, um, you know, we saw over 200 children for Matilda came in and auditioned for us. And what it came down to, really, for like the young kids, and it always comes down to this. And so anybody who's out there, listen, take your classes, because it comes down to the kids that can sing, act, and dance. And not just kind of dance, but these kids are dancing, and there's... It's, it's hard because it's robotic and it's all count-based and has to be strong. And they have to already come in with such a large knowledge. Yeah. It isn't time to teach. It needs to, be, it needs to be so clean and so specific. Yeah. And you can't... Those are skills that you can't train in the rehearsal you know, Yeah, room. there's not six, any six weeks of time that you can teach somebody how to have those Strong skills. arms and Exactly. Their they need right. to already have that. I can refine it, but I can't start from scratch. Yeah. And so that's where a lot of the sweet, darling, wonderful kids that came into audition, they're just new to it. But what I notice is a lot of those kids have a lot on their resume. But I have like two pages of shows, and those kids don't have the skills yeah. to do a, sh- a, a, a bigger, like a more professional show. Going back to our earlier conversation, it's they, they're working for the performance, not about the It's all the about process. performance. And they don't know how to conduct themselves in a rehearsal. They don't have the skills that even to sit quietly and watch they don't they just don't have that and um that's where you know it's like the same kids you kind of see on stage a lot because those are the kids that are actually really training and they're ready for the work yeah because um, it is work it is work <laughs> and the other thing is I see that as a casting director in adult actors that come in to audition you know they might have pages and pages and pages of you know shows they've been in but where's and then the training can be really small, and it's the training is so important, and to keep the training up, which is really hard because it costs money. Yeah. <laughs> but there's ways to you know there's ways to to get help in that regard. You need to, people need to ask because there's lots of 
you know, voice teachers. And I know here at the ballet school, there's ways in which people can train. Um, if they need financial help, you, they got to ask for it. Yeah, and there, there, are, there are schools that offer financial aid or scholarships yeah, or we just... we do. Um, here at the ballet school. I mean, we help a lot of people. So I think... Or auditing certain classes and just... Yes. Like, I, I know a bunch of... A lot of my friends are teachers and educators, and they're a great resource to me because I can ask, hey, can I, can I go sit, sit, in? sit in on your class and yeah. just hear, hear what you have to say about uh, Alexander Technique or Meisner or yeah. combat or whatever. And we need to use our resources more, you know? Yeah. That's, that's such a good point. But, um, yeah, so that's, you know, when we picked for Matilda, finding the right Matilda, you know... This one was a little bit different because it wasn't like they had to do a tour jeté. It wasn't finding the skill of Billy Elliot. It was finding somebody with a lot of heart who could really tell a story. Yeah. And I can't imagine a better one than we have. She is she is phenomenal. I mean, <laughs> wait, watch out world. Here comes Sophia. She's she's she is Matilda. Like at some points I forget her real name because she's become Matilda to me. Yeah. Um and I she's She's so in my heart, and I can't wait for her to jump in other people's hearts because she is an excellent storyteller. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And, yeah. like, and so professional. Yeah. She takes notes. She, like, I give her a note, and she, it's, she's on it. You know, I'll think, oh, I hope she remembers. I, I hope I remember I gave her the note. Like, it's, she she's knew, so good. She knew all of her lines. She knew all of her she songs before anybody, anybody else. She yeah. knew the Russian. Yeah. She has to speak Russian at a she certain point. She fluently was speaking Russian. We're like, how did you do this? And she's like, oh, I've been studying, what was it, Google? Um, <laughs> like Google Translate. Google Translate. You know, sound by sound. I was like, okay, actors, adult actors, maybe you should try that, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's amazing when I, uh, I think she's 13. I think she's, she's kind of set the bar for a lot of, all of us, me too, you know, come in prepared. She was, she was prepared. Yeah. And this is different than a lot of shows I feel like, because this is one of the first times that, at least in this area, that regional theaters have been able to do Matilda. Yes. I mean, the tours have come through sure. um, and people, people know the show and are aware of the show and kids, I think know the story because they want to little kids want to be Matilda or right. get to sing Bruce's songs and so there's a buzz around it but how was it directing a show like this that not many people have done in the area I, I think a little scary because I think <laughs> there was like so many unknowns I mean there's so much to the show it's actually it's so well crafted because it has everything I mean it has humor it has terrifying moments you know it has so much heart um and it has magic and it has mystery it has like there's actually like a whole mystery that's being solved within like that's just a portion of the story but it ends up being the most important part of the story if that yeah. makes sense it's it has everything it has show-stopping numbers it has um the most the sweetest most heartfelt you know moments it has the quietest moments. It has, I mean, it just really offers everything. And so I don't even think me saying yes to it, um, I fully knew. I, I know I didn't fully know <laughs> the scope of the show because I was part of the generation that didn't have Matilda as a book to read as a fifth grader. Okay. So Matilda, I knew from like when Amanda was reading Matilda or Amanda would watch the movies. Yeah, because the movie like, oh, came cute. out in like the early to mid 90s. 90s. And so it was right around 
my childhood. Yeah. And so it's like your generation, maybe new Matilda, where my generation was like, I want to be Orphan Annie. <laughs> this, your generation, those girls are saying, I want to be Matilda. Yeah, because you know? uh, I saw the movie and because of the movie, I then read the book and then I cool. kind of found out more about Roald Dahl and then I was like, oh, Charlie well, and the Chocolate Factory. Well, that's Pandora's box. There's so <laughs> much to it. And it's it. one of the things that I like about Roald Dahl's material is that it is written for children, but it doesn't talk down to children at all. He uses a lot of complex language yes. and like made up words. He also but, gives children a voice. Absolutely. Which is so cool. And that's what I hope people, people always go, oh, you don't understand, you're a child. And that's kind of like just a normal kind of feel from people. But it is, children are, they're, they know more than we give them credit for. They actually probably know more than we do. We just can't admit that, but I'm going to admit that right now. <laughs> they do. They have, they haven't been um, tainted by like living the life because they're just the innocent creatures who are closest to being born, right? So yeah. they have the innocence that we as adults kind of lose a sense of that we have to remember that life is just what these children are saying it is. So the song, When I Grow Up, if we can all just like start our day with that song and just remember that like, yeah, we are still growing up. We are still learning. And like there is, there are clouds in the sky and there's rain falling, the sun shines. We're so lucky to have all, all that. All the blessings and opportunities that you yes. could take for granted just because you kind of forget about it. And yeah. that's one of the things that the, the, the music and the book is written so smartly. Yes, it's it's one of the smartest musical scripts that I've ever yeah. like gotten the chance to <laughs> to sing and yeah. or like be a part of. And in the in the opening number, like the the doctor that Alex Moore plays, yeah. he's he sings. Um, he plays it so well. He's so fabulous. He's absolute rock star. Um, he says a line about how each newborn life is. A miracle. It's still unbroken skin. Yep. It's uncorrupted mind, and yep. it's something that that's something that we can look up to children for because they haven't been broken down, and they don't. There's a night a naivete, yeah, naivete or whatever, yeah. however you pronounce it, that could be viewed as weakness, but really is one of our greatest, so greatest empathetic assets absolutely. that a lot of people. And that, for, that we forget about. And that Matilda, day -day in her circumstance, you know, with parents that give her no time of day, don't even, they, you know, they call her, her dad's calling her boy all the time. She says, I'm a girl. He's not listening to that. It's not what he wanted. The mom didn't even want to have another baby. You know, you, the Mr. Wormwood, I say you, because that's the part <laughs> you're playing. But you, you know, in that story, you, it's like you want a boy, not a girl, you know. And all of that, despite all of that for her, she still is finds strength through her stories, through her books, through she finds a way to find the strength. Um, and I think that that's such a great little lesson for kids because everybody has a story. Everybody, like as teachers, we those kids walk in the door at four o'clock to come to their next lesson, but they've been in school all day and they've already gone through who knows what. Yeah. They've already gone through mom, dad waking them up or maybe just mom or maybe it was a babysitter. Maybe, you know, we have, there's some kids that come to us with the, like that kangaroo driving, you know, where it's not even their parents driving them here because their parents are working hard to be able to provide for them. And I, there's just so many kids out there that we just don't know their stories. Yeah. Um, and I think as educators and as storytellers, we have to just keep their little flames going because we don't know their other circumstances. Absolutely. 
So I, I think that, you know, bringing it back to Matilda, I think that this story hopefully will do that for everybody in the audience, you know, is just ignite a flame of like, I can speak for myself. I can say what I feel. Um, I have the power to make a change in yeah. whatever you decide to change, you know? So for those of my listeners who have are familiar with the music, familiar yes. or maybe saw the tour or anything yes. like that, why do you want people to see your production? Like, what do they have to I, get out of it? So I've never seen another production of it. So I've, like, it's not like a show that I can say, oh, I've seen that one and I've seen that one. I've seen, of course, clips and, you know, little, you know, video footage of other productions. Um, but I, I've never sat in the audience. So I think, actually, Kelly Tai, who's the amazing set designer that he is, in early on conversations, you know, there's so much talk about the telly from the dad and there's so much disregard for Matilda from the parents. And I think that together we came up with this kind of different way of looking at the story, setting it a little bit, um, well, setting it in, it's now, it's happening right now. Because there's nothing in the script that says what time period no, it is really. Nothing. And, and so... Setting it now and um, bringing in the electronic devices in which we are all addicted to um, and trying to incorporate the fact that mm, a lot of us aren't even speaking to each other anymore. We're speaking through our devices or even if we are talking to each other, we're on the computer or we're on our cell phone or just how all of that has just taken over our minds. Snapchat. Facebook, Instagram. I mean, I love that stuff too. I, yeah. It's part, it's part of now who we are. As, as society changes and has become more technologically advanced, yeah. like technology can connect us a lot. Yeah. And it, so there's it wonderful things, us. but it definitely disconnects us. And um, I hope that that's what people leave with is a feeling of like maybe putting down their phone when their kids are talking to them. Maybe actually leaving your phone in your bag or just plugging it in when you go to sleep in another room so that you're not constantly by bombarded with who liked your post. Because no matter what, we everybody is aware of that. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, it's you're aware of it. And why are we aware of it? Who cares, really? <laughs> but we do care. And um, so I think that's what's a little bit different about our show is we've been able to bring in that aspect of... You to know, make it a little bit more immediate. Immediate. And the fact that kids... In school these days, hardly are using books. Everything, like from my daughter in middle school, you know, she has to send her homework in on the computer. And, you know, a lot of these schools are checking out iPads to these kids or little, you know, computers, and that's what they're doing their schoolwork on. And I'm, there's definitely wonderful things about it. Saving paper, that's great. Yeah. But there is something about a good old-fashioned book. And the fact that Doll's story can you can still, without changing really any words or any of the yes. content of the show, you can still tell his same story of this incredibly bright kid who's getting lost in, in, in the scuffle. It's so true. So I think in some ways, smarter than his time, maybe he saw this coming because there's so much in the story that, it, that our idea really works with, that you're just yeah. like, oh my God, I think if this was meant to be... Um, so the, I, the, I'm excited about it. And the characters that he was writing about, the just the kind-hearted, soft-spoken people who are kind of getting shoved out over by the bullies, that's, that's something that I'm sure was around in his time. Otherwise, he wouldn't sure. have written about it. But I feel like 
it's it's sad that that is as relevant as it is. And it's, yeah. And I think the good thing about all that bully stuff is people are talking about it more. Yeah. Um, we're aware that that's, you know, kids are being told that's not okay in school, where I think back in the day, people just were bullied. And, it's like, toughen up. Yeah, be, be, you can do it, be brave. Um, but I, it's definitely still out there, and in some ways even more so because of all the stuff on the internet, you know, watching my daughter go through middle school and having to see just the pressure of what Instagram has brought or Snapchat or all of that has brought. It's an immediate like awareness of how cool somebody else is at all times and maybe how you feel less than or maybe you feel more than. I don't know, but it's just constant. Yeah. Um, and so I think this show will make you think twice maybe about having your Apple Watch, your phone, your computer, and the TV on all at the <laughs> same time. Pay attention to what's we're living, you know. And so we're, we move into the space um, on Sunday. We're recording this on the April 4th. Yes. And so we we open next week. April 12th, right? April next, 12th. next Friday, which okay. is pretty and exciting. A week from tomorrow. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. This is the best time. <laughs> it's the yes time. So we're headed into you know Sunday when the set starts to go in the theater and we bring all the actors. It's like the preparation, you know, conscious preparation for the unconscious result. Here we go because... Yeah. We've prepped. Now it's time for everybody to come together, all aspects, and for everybody to stay positive into the yes mode of, yes, this is finally, we're getting this all together. So I'm super excited about it, and I can't wait for audiences to see it. Okay. So um, near, we're nearing the end of our conversation, and I'm, I always ask my guests these, um, these questions. Okay. Is there anything in the Bay Area theater community that you find a little discouraging, something that you would change if you could? Sure. I think that, um, I think that it's easy to say we all need to work together more. I think that's a really easy thing to say. Everybody needs to work together more to help each other out. But I think everybody's fighting for the same audiences too, in some ways. Um, but I wish I had a magic answer to have people help each other more. <laughs> so even though I know that's really easy to say, harder to do, um, I wish there was a way that it that in some ways it didn't feel competitive, that it felt um, more of a family, just all over the place. You know, I'm, I'm talking about like, how can we help Sacramento and how can we help San Jose and how can they help us? You know, even like this Matilda show, like this is gonna, in, you know, six, five, six weeks, it'll be gone. Yeah. But like, how could we bring this show to Sacramento? for a two week run in somebody else's space and how could they bring it to us and how could we all help each other in that way? Yeah, to get the... It's a lot of coordination <laughs> and it's a lot of traveling, but it's like, gosh, it's so sad to see some of these amazing shows all over the place just not have a life a little bit longer for other audiences to see. I feel like there there is the, the bare bones infrastructure exists because mm -hmm. there are the the designers and the artists and the actors yes. who do travel and so they have that type of they have the connection to all these different communities but are you talking about like expanding that to like maybe on the producer side of it just I think the actors side. you know they're you guys are amazing you guys travel to all sorts of theaters to bring your amazing craft to those theater companies so it's not so much definitely not the actors I think it's the producing companies, you know, how can we help each other more? Um, I don't know. The other thing I would change or I would wave a magic wand over, and I said it a little earlier, is just for everybody to remember where they came from and never lose sight of that. 
Um, and so, you know, I've been a teacher for a long time, and I, I honor my grandmother every single day. I mean, she was my biggest mentor. And, um, you know, I think about my theater teachers and the programs, like Young Rep, that shaped who I am, and I will advocate for those programs for the rest of my life, and I will always remember those people. And I think that um, as a teacher, and I've been teaching for a long time, I think it's really important we all remember who helped bring the spark into us in the first place. Yeah. Um, you know, and oftentimes I see people say the bigger things that they've, you know, done. But I always admire when that actor is giving their Tony Award speech and they thank their drama teacher in high school <laughs> and whatnot, because it's so true. Without those early educators, people wouldn't have been inspired to keep going. So just remember where you came from and, and be grateful for those moments. Flip side of that, mm-hmm. what has been encouraging for you about the by the Bay Area theater community. And that could be, that could be some, uh, a show that you saw, a performance that really blew your mind, or just a philosophy that you f- are feeling from other people. Or... Yeah, I think, I think the growth in our theater community is amazing. And I think the support for our theater community is amazing in the sense, just from the audience aspect of, you know, people um, are, are, they like to go to, it's like theaters become a thing to do on the weekends, yeah. you know? which is so great. Um, and I just personally, like I, I love the support. And I think this is one of the great things about Facebook is I love seeing the actors post about the shows that they're doing and people saying right on, or, you know, people deciding to move to New York and people going good for you. You go get it. You know, if that's what you want, I think that that's totally encouraging. And I feel like the world could learn from the theater people because (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of love and acceptance um, in our theater community as a whole. I think that New York and Chicago and LA, I think no matter what, I think we're all rooting for each other, you know, to keep the arts alive. And that's, I think, going to keep stories going and I think that's going to keep inspiring people. So... That's my answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And uh, lastly, curveball. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm ready to catch it. You grew up dancing mm-hmm. in the school that your grandmother yes. taught at. Lorene Fender, L-A-R-E-E-N. That's how you spell it. Um, you grew up uh, watching your mom act and your yes. dad direct and yes. design shows. And you run a, run a school that's based in the performing arts. And now yes. you have to... Children. Yeah. So, are there lessons from raising a raising a family mm-hmm. that you have applied into your theatrical world and vice versa? Oh yes, making your your cast a family. Um, my family's like my blood family is so tight. You know, my cousins, my aunts, my uncles. You know, I'm so blessed with all those wonderful people in my life, and my grandparents have meant the world to me. And I was able to grow up with grandparents. Um, that I knew, I think that the sense of like feeling loved and appreciated and wanted was set at such a young age that I want the actors and the staff that I work with to feel loved and wanted and part of a family. And I feel like when I think of our Billy Elliot family, I could cry. When I think of the wonderful production of Oklahoma that we did, I could cry thinking about that group of humans together and the same feeling with Matilda. So I think establishing the family that I have at home and bringing a family of artists, storytellers together, 
I don't know how to do it any other way. Yeah. I wouldn't know how just to walk in and just keep it all separate. Um, so I think that that having a family helps me create a family in the rehearsal room. Um, I also think telling, really focusing in on the story and making the connections with the actors and appreciating what they, they themselves bring to it is really important because that's part of the appreciation that I've felt my whole life for my family that I want to make sure other people feel too. Wonderful. Well, Jenny, thanks for <laughs> thanks for thanks, sitting. Thanks, Doppy, for uh, asking me. The uh, floor is yours. Uh, just what do you have coming up? What do you want people to know about? Oh, um, well, and that I think could be like with- definitely Matilda. Um, come see it. It's it's going to be incredible. Uh, we have a spring concert for the ballet school on May fifth with original pieces um, that I've choreographed and then original pieces that actually my advanced students have choreographed, which is so exciting because they're getting the opportunity to. T- tell stories. Um, and also a ballet I put together that my grandmother choreographed called Etudes, putting her choreography and setting it on these dancers is amazing. And Bay Area theater artists, the ballet school has drop-in classes. Oh, yes. We have drop-in Broadway dance, tap. Ashley Cowell teaches our tap classes. She's amazing. As I well teach as Broadway dance, piano. voice, piano. We have wonderful teachers. Um, and the biggest news I think that we're all working on is that after 42 years, the ballet school is moving just up the street. I say we're moving on up um, <laughs> to Locust Street, but we're going to have the most amazing studios that actually Michael Doppi got to go with me yesterday and see their building. It, this is going to be the performing arts mecca <laughs> for everybody is going to want to be in these studios um, and learn, and it's going to be such a wonderful place for us artists to gather. So stay tuned for grand opening news mid-June. Um, it's 1131 Locust Street. It's going to be amazing. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jenny. Thank uh, you. Can you do one more thing for me? Yeah. Can you say, I'm Batman? I'm Batman. Same bat time, same bat station. 